As I said to the children, we have been emphasizing the gifts that God gives us at Christmas. The first week, we stressed that God gave us the gift of his Son, and we used John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we talked about God's loving the world, we marveled that it is not so much that he loves such a vast thing, that the world is so large, but that he loves such a wicked thing, because the world is so bad and sinful. And so John 3 goes on to say, For God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't send his son to bring condemnation, judgment, destruction to this world, even though it was sinful, but rather he came to give it life. And so Romans says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then we noted that God gives us the gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that in Jesus Christ we have this gift of eternal life. And we emphasize the fact that a gift is not deserved or merited. That God was under no obligation whatsoever to save a single individual. But God, in his grace and goodness, gives us eternal life. We emphasize that the scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we earn is God's disfavor, but yet God bestows his favor upon us as a gift. There is absolutely no way that we can merit eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The scripture repeatedly tells us it's not by the works of our righteousness. It's not by our goodness that we are saved. And yet, God requires, God demands in his holiness and in his justice that only those who are sinless can be in his presence. So how do you balance or, or how do you relieve the tension between those two ideas? That we are not sinless and yet sinlessness is what is required of God in order to be in his presence, in order to have a right relationship to him. Well, this morning we find out that the righteousness that we have is not an earned righteousness. It's not a righteousness that's based upon our having done right things, but it's a gift of righteousness, that God views us as righteous even when we have not done the good things. And the scripture teaches us that we don't. We don't. None of us. And 
the word of God tells us in the book of Isaiah, for all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. They are meaningless before God. So this morning I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, looking at just this one verse to describe this gift of righteousness that we receive through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the sum total of what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. And I want to uh, dissect this verse so that we fully understand all that it has to say. Because it contains some marvelous truth. So we need to begin this morning by asking, what does it mean that he that is God made him that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin? What does that mean? First and foremost, we're to see that Christ is totally sinless. That is what is meant by the words, he knew no sin. Jesus Christ is totally without sin. Jesus himself, personally, never committed a single sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knew what it was to be tempted. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh. He was uh, tested with the pride of life. He was a person who experienced the same, same kinds of situations that we experience, and yet he never committed a single act of sin. Not only did he personally not commit any sin, but he was not born with a sinful nature. We've inherited a sinful nature from Adam. Jesus did not. That is the importance of that great doctrine of the virgin birth. That Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. No earthly father. So that he would not inherit the sinful nature of Adam. He had no sinful nature. He committed no act of sin. Therefore, Jesus was completely sinless. And yet, our text says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He was made to be sin. He was made to be sin. So in what sense was Jesus made to be sin? Well, we need to talk about what it does not mean and what it does mean. So first of all, what it does not mean that he was made to be sin. It does not mean that Jesus intrinsically became a sinner meaning that he himself behaved in a sinful manner or committed acts of sin. Jesus did not act sinfully or personally commit sin before or, and now here's the key, even after our sins were placed on him. The word of God says that our sins were placed on the sinless one, Jesus Christ. 
But even after our sins were placed on Jesus, Jesus did not actively sin. While suffering on the cross, Jesus did not commit any sin. Listen to the words of 1 Peter. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus did not hang on the cross, and once our sins were placed on him, began to swear, or began to rebel, or began to act in any way in a sinful or unrighteous way. In fact, just the opposite is true. Not only did he commit no sin, but he continued to act righteously. For example, while on the cross, he continued to love his enemies. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is what First Peter is referring to when it says that he did not revival, revile them. Though he was mocked, he did not mock in return. Though he was cursed, he did not curse again. He did not call down God's judgment upon those who placed him on that cross. Rather, he prayed and interceded for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus did not rebel against his father while on the cross. He did not seek to come off that cross. He did not seek to overthrow the purpose and plan and will of God. But he continued to submit himself to the father and prayed, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So when it says that he was made to be sin, it doesn't mean that he became sinful. He never sinned before or after our sins were placed upon him. So what does it mean? We understand by the words he made him to be sin is that Jesus was treated, regarded, looked upon as a sinner by God the Father. He was treated as a sinner. It was God who placed the curse of our sin upon him. He, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. First, uh, Isaiah 53.10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Thirdly, it is said that he was made to be sin on our behalf, or for us. The idea contained in the preposition for is on behalf of us, in our place. It doesn't mean simply with us in view. It means in our stead, in our place. The consequences of sin that he bore were actually our consequences of sin. The punishment that he bore was actually our punishment. Isaiah 53, 4. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. All that was coming upon Jesus was not because of any sin that he committed. It was because of the sins that we had committed. The death 
that he was experiencing was not the death as a result of his own sin. It was the death as a result of our sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now that is absolutely essential to understand the gospel. And if you understand that part, then you can understand the second part. And that is that Jesus was sinless. But treated as a sinner. The second half of this verse is the second half of the gospel. And that is we who are sinners are treated as righteous. Notice our text, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, and now these words, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does it mean that we might become the righteousness of God in him? Well, it includes the idea that we were totally devoid of righteousness just as Christ was totally devoid of sin. Look at verse 19 of chapter 5. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. We've committed sin. Every one of us has committed sin. Scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't think any of us, I hope that not any of us, would say we've never done anything wrong, never told a lie, never demonstrated anger towards someone, never coveted what somebody else had, never lusted in our hearts. We are all sinners. We are void of righteousness just as Jesus was void of sin. In this verse, verse 19, to become teaches us that we become something that we were not. We were not righteous just as Jesus was not sinful. So in verse 21, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's righteousness was placed on us in the same manner that our sin was placed on Christ. Just as Jesus bore the miserable consequences of our disobedience, we bear the wonderful consequences of Christ's obedience. He was treated as a sinner. We are treated as righteous. Just as Christ, the sinless one, bore our sin, so too we who were without righteousness bear Christ's righteousness. Verse 21, that we might become the righteousness of God, the righteousness that God gives. Not that we earn, but that he bestows. God provided that righteousness in the person of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God in him. In him refers to our union with Christ. In relationship to Christ, we become righteous. There is more as we think about the cross, 
than simply Jesus paying the penalty for our sin. He did do that. The wages of sin is death. Our sin is placed on him. But what we need to understand is his righteousness is placed on us. Without that second part, we'd still be lost. Without that second part, we still couldn't stand in the presence of God. We needed to be righteous. He makes us righteous as a result of his perfect obedience. Jesus fulfilled all the law of God. The law of God is summed up in two commandments. First, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy might. Jesus did. He delighted to do the will of his Father. Whatever God asked of him, he did. Completely. Even to the point, Philippians says, of dying on the cross. Even to the point of willingly giving up his life. Whatever was asked of him by the Father, he was willing to do. He was righteous. And he did not fail in anything to do the will of God. The second commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die so that we could live. He actually put our interests before his own. He was willing to experience death that he did not deserve so that we would not experience the death that we do deserve. He loved us even as we love ourselves. He was righteous. And that righteousness is counted towards us who believe. Next, Christ's righteousness was placed on us in the same manner that our sin was placed on Christ so that we might stand justified just as Jesus Christ was condemned. Just as the condemnation came not as a result of any sin that he committed, so too our justification comes not as a result of any righteousness that we provide. I can't emphasize that enough. Any righteousness that we provide. It isn't Jesus' righteousness and our righteousness and put them together and we are accepted of God. It isn't that we are 10% righteous and he was 90% righteous and together we become righteousness. There is no infusion. There is no mingling. We have no righteousness to bring to the table just as Jesus had no sin to bring to the table. He was condemned solely, solely on the basis of our sin. And we are forgiven solely, solely on the basis of his righteousness. It is his righteousness alone. It is our unrighteousness alone that put him on the cross. Christ, being personally without sin, did not keep him from being treated as a sinner, just as our being personally without righteousness does not prevent us from being treated as righteous. Stated positively, 
we have peace with God. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stated negatively, we will never experience the wrath of God. Romans 5.9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus bore all, all, all the consequences of our sin if we place our faith and trust in him. All of them. All of them. The debt is completely paid. He provides all the righteousness. All the righteousness. And it's given to us if we but believe. However, there is a wonderful surpassing truth in Christ's death for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God had something better in view, in view in Christ's death than simply that Christ's righteousness would be counted to us. God, the person of Christ, would actually make us intrinsically righteous. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21, if you have an NAS or an NIV, it reads as follows. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. NIV. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. King James uses the word made twice, but they are two different words. And it is significant. When our sin was placed on Jesus Christ, it did not result in Jesus acting sinfully. That was never the purpose. That was never the design. It was never God's intent that his holy son would actually become sinful. God did not send some evil spirit to live in Jesus' heart so that now he would act sinfully. That was never the purpose. That was never the design. But it was God's purpose, and it is God's design, that not only that we would be treated as righteous, but we would actually become righteous. That we would see a change in behavior. That we would see a change in action. That we would begin to live righteously. Not lying as much, not lusting as much, not being as sinful as we were before. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Not that Christ would become unrighteous through his death, but we would actually become righteous through Christ's death. In order to accomplish this, God sends us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the Holy Spirit is beginning to change us. And one day we will be perfect. One day we really will be righteous. Not just treated as righteous, be righteous. That day is going to come when we are in the very presence of God. We're not going to sin. There will be no lying. There will be no cheating. 
There will be no lusting. There will be no sin in our lives, period. Because that's the great design. But don't confuse the purpose of salvation with the basis of salvation. God saved us to make us righteous. But our salvation is not based on our personal righteousness. Our salvation is based 100%, totally, on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you are viewed as righteous. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're viewed as unrighteous. No matter how often you come to church, no matter what good deeds you do, you are not perfect, which is what you need to be. Jesus Christ died so that we could be viewed as perfect. So we could be treated as though we were righteous when we're not. He was treated as though he were sinful when he was not so we could be treated as though we are righteous when we are not. That's the gift of righteousness. We haven't earned it at all. We just receive it. A righteousness that he provides. The question this morning is quite simple. Have you received that gift of righteousness? Have you acknowledged personally the need the need of forgiveness, the need of righteousness in your life? Are you trusting solely in Jesus Christ? Not you and Jesus. Simply Jesus. He is going to make me acceptable to God. That's the message of salvation. That's why Jesus was born. To live righteously and to die in our place so that we might experience that righteousness that only he can give. Let's pray. Our Father, we look to you and we would ask for your grace this morning. We pray for any who are gathered here today who have not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the source of their righteousness, that today would be that day. I pray you would do a work in their heart, that they might see that it is only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we have any hope of eternal life, not on the goodness that we have done, solely on the goodness that he has done. Lord, comfort us in that goodness that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.